0: Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you, or if only I hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had, and now hear that you still, I still have.
1: When you go to work,
0: when you when you're when you feel that your work matters to God, you'll have a sense of pride and purpose about your work, no matter what that work might be. You'll have an inner motivation, and that's what Paul had. Now last Monday, we celebrated Labor Day. And many of you sitting here were able to get an extra day off for this holiday. Others they just said, "No, you can't have it." We're short-staffed, and most—if most of us are honest with ourselves—we do not spend a day off contemplating the work of those who labor in this country. The meaning of this holiday has long been forgotten, and has been noticed. It's been replaced with a three-day weekend and getting away from it all. I was watching television this last week and flipping through the channels. Any of you ever channel flip, right? I was moving from one channel to another channel to watch another show, and I stopped on one of those shows where they're interviewing people on the street, and I got stopped there. Now, in fairness, the interviewers and the ones they were interviewing were in a major city, right downtown in all the tall buildings. It was not done in middle America, but in the mass of people where we call cities. And they asked person after person what Labor Day holiday was, and only two people, only two people had any understanding Of what it was for or what it was designed to represent. And these two people had been out of school for many, many years. That is a nice way of saying they were old. (laughs) All the others were young. And they had no idea of the whys, the whats, or actually any clue about the holiday. It was sad to watch. In God's holy word, there's 859 passages that refer to our labor. Our work and doing our best. There is a verse after verse that instructs us on our attitude while we are at labor. God actually has a lot to say about our labor and how We who are his sheep should set an example of him while people are watching us. Now, one of them is found just a few verses farther in the book of Philippians that I just read to you. So let me flip you to Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars. Is our generation warped and crooked? Do you want to shine like a star? God has advice for us. Today we're going to consider what God expects of us when we're at work. Now, sidebar here, That there's all types of work. There's volunteering, there's there's homeschooling. I was talking to a homeschooler. They were over buying books across the street. They bought $300 worth of books from the school teacher. If you don't know, she had 34 years worth of books. She retired, she got fed up, and she sold them for nothing. And you know how much $300 worth of books she was selling was? She was ladies walking out with boxes. But she is a teacher at home. That's work. Whatever you're going through. The point is, what we do, 40 hours plus hours every week, whether at home, whether at school, whether on the job, volunteering in the community, matters to God. Now, I've decided to begin with the Apostle Paul, what he wrote from a prison cell in the church of Philippi. So, I'm going to read to you verse 27. We're going to This is we're digging in deep here. I'm going back to it, so don't panic. You're going to hear it again. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. If Paul were here today, talking to us in our modern language, he might say it this way. Above all else, let your example, your example must be better than that, than what is usually seen. You must go to great lengths to work together so that people will be amazed by how you live and they will believe the good news that you live by and turn to God. Do you really feel that way? Is it important that, it is important that you do, let's word it that way. Because when you feel that way, that your work matters to God, whatever the work is, you will have a sense of pride and purpose in your work. No matter what your work might be. You will have an interior motivation to do well. On the other hand, if you feel that your work doesn't matter to God and he's not concerned about how you do or what you do, you'll be much easier to make moral compromises. Hey, it really doesn't matter if I lie or come in late to work or if I don't work hard at all. It's only a job. And they should be paying me more for it anyway. The Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life is a battleground. The front line is not here in this church building. It's outside these walls. This here is a supply depot for the army. We are clearly at war. God's holy word tells us this over and over, over 400 times throughout its pages. All you have to do is listen to the news or read the paper, and you can feel that the war is raging outside these walls. But the war is not here today inside this building. It's in the highways and the byways of the workplaces of the world. We are soldiers called to defend the faith of the gospel. Us picturing ourselves in a battleground is actually sometimes very hard. Because we know that the battles that our missionaries are going through And dealing with. We know people who are actually in the front lines of the battle and they're taking wounds for the gospel. So let me try to present it a different way this morning. That we sitting here today might grasp and rasp our minds around. Think about cowboys when they settled this great country. Now, bear with me, I'm going to give you a break here. My wife says I can go from one topic to the next topic and I never even mention when I'm making a change. And yes, I do that. Okay, I'm changing your mindset here now. The soldier has become a cowboy. Okay? Everyone got that? We're still at war. I'm not changing the gospel. I'm trying to give you a different mental picture. Because is it easier to picture yourself as a cowboy than a soldier? I mean...
1: For me, it is.
0: I, I so I'm hopefully it's for you. I'm just giving you a different. I'm not changing gospel. I'm changing your mental picture. A cowboy. Think about some of those old Zane Grey books you read. Anybody read Zane Grey? Louis L'Amour, right? Or how about the old great cowboy movies? You've all seen them. Some of the. Best of them, the main character, seemed to follow a code. So much better than any of the other characters in the story. There was a code, a code of the West. So I looked in the internet, you know that wonderful thing, right? To see if there was such a thing I could find really quickly here, and I actually found a book. Before the American West was settled, and the barbed wire was strung there was a code of the West. One of the civilizing influences we could rely on. Now, a book's going to pop up on the screen here really quick, and you can check out this book if you wish. But in this 2004 book, Cowboy Ethics, and What Wall Street Can Learn from the Code of the West, Jim Owens made a heartfelt case for a new approach of Basically, business ethics. One that goes back to the simple, timeless principles of the cowboy code. His code hit such a chord that article after article was printed about it, and newspapers all over the country brand stories. Quotes that were emailed time after time between friends from this book, people who had never had dirt under their feet just concrete, all their entire lives were checking out a cowboy code. The book is a must-read for any business leader. He translated the unwritten code of the West into ten principles to live by in the business world. Now, the code of the West. Live each day with courage. Take pride in your work. Always finish what you start. Do what has to be done. Be tough, but fair. When you make a promise, keep it. Ride for the brand. Talk less and say more. Remember, some things aren't for sale. And know where to draw the line. To which I'm going to add number 11. In the old movies, at least, when the cowboy takes off his hat when he enters the church building, as if to recognize there's a higher authority, an ultimate range boss for whom he must stand. I think we forgot that in America, so I'm going to add that. Now, the article went on and on, and it turned out that Jim's message struck a chord such a deep chord with people in all walks of life. Cowboy ethics has actually become a national conversation as people across our country rediscover the cowboy code and make it their own. But why cowboys? Well, cowboys represent the best of America. Courage, optimism, and plain hard work. Cowboys are heroic, not just because what they do is a dangerous job, but because they stand for something. The simple basic values that lie at the heart of the cowboy way. Even though the way of life has changed over the last 150 years, cowboys still honor and live by a code. They are an abiding source of inspiration to do better to, and, and to be better than we are. Now, one of them, most of us, have no problem understanding nine of the points. But I want you to look at number seven, ride for the brand. To the cowboy, it meant to be faithful to the owner who hired you. If you're working for a person, you're faithful to the person, you're loyal to the person. If you don't like the person anymore, you get on your horse and you ride to another brand. But you ride for the brand. Remember John Wayne? He was working on some oil rig and he said, McClintock Riders! And they all come in and start swinging fists. I, I love old John Wayne movies. Anybody in here like John Wayne? You know, he never used four letter language, he didn't, he got everything through. There was a code. Well, when you rode for the brand, they gave you a home. As someone might say, through thick or thin, through hell or high water, you're going to be faithful to that brand. I ride for Christ. I ride for the brand. Now, from the opening pages of God's holy word, it was obvious that God is a worker. The very first words in the Bible said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the Bible goes on to tell us that he created the sky, the water, the trees, the mountains, the moon, the stars, the fishes, the animals, and finally men. Now, none of that existed until God spoke. Psalms 104, verse 24 says, God, you made the many things. The earth is full of your creations. Our God is a worker. And according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we are created in his image. Therefore, we should be workers also. That is why God, after creating Adam, put him to work. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord put the man in the garden of Eden, and he said there, Do farm and care, and you take care of it. He put him to work. By the way, the son of Jesus, the son of God, was also a worker. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 5, verse 17, My father is always doing his work. He is working right up to this day. I am working too. And Jesus was very busy. Now, if you go to Mark, chapter 6, verse 31... We see many people coming and going. And they hadn't had a chance to eat. Jesus said to the apostles, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet spot. We need to get some rest. But he fed them. Are there any workaholics here? It's easy to fall into the trap of a workaholic. You need to spend one more time doing this morning at the office and one more hour before you go home one more shift of overtime one more load of laundry the laundry never ends have you ever found that sock that's missing the, they eat it the machine eats the socks it appears six months later how about one more phone call one more project. And it can get to the point where we feel if we, we're guilty if we relax. But listen, if you burn the candle at both ends, you're not going to be as bright as you think you are. Yes, your work matters. And it matters to God. And one reason your work matters to God is because that is where your faith really meets life. Let me say that again. That is where your faith really meets life. So let's consider what happens to many places of work today. Now, for instance, it is not unusual for some workers to show up late. If they show up at all. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sidebar here. I normally, when i buy my coffee, ask, "Did ever how many people are you missing?" When I go to McDonald's for the wisdom of faith at the table, you know. But and sometimes it's a lot. Your work matters. Getting back to the sermon, I'm never going to get it done. I gotta, I gotta stay on focus here, right? Oh, how am I going to word this? How about if they call in sick when they're really not sick? And, and they tend to complain a lot. You ever been going to a store and the person's just complaining like, a, you know, it's like, oh my goodness. Some even have developed a habit of not working hard when the boss isn't around and sometimes even if the boss is around. Using... Work time for personal stuff. Phone calls, email, surfing, texting. Just putting in enough effort to get by. In working on this message, I came across these suggestions on what to say if your boss catches you asleep at your desk. They're actually on the internet. They told me this might happen at the blood bank when I gave blood. Oh, I, boy, that cold medicine I took last night just won't wear off. Oh, I wasn't sleeping. I was praying that today would be a good day for our company. Well, I hope that this is not the kind of environment you, you're working in. But normally it is. I'm afraid so some of what I've mentioned goes on at every business. Now allow me to take you in your mind to the fifth and sixth chapters of Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus. He begins chapter five with these words. You are the children that God loves or dearly loves. Depends how you translate it. So follow his example and lead a life of love just as Christ did. Then he goes on to give some advice to Christians who will be reading the letter. To the congregation as a whole, to the wives, to the husband, to the children, to the fathers, to the slaves, and finally the master's. Now, when we're at work, we're not slaves, he goes on to say. Although some may say that they feel that way, which is not a good attitude to begin with. I just added that part in the Bible, which is not a good attitude. That's not in the Bible. But listen to the Apostle Paul, what he wrote about being a slave-master relationship. At the time of the books being penned in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire alone had 60 million slaves just in the Roman Empire. That's not counting China, Indonesia, or any of the other empires of the day. And I believe the basic principle applied to the employee-employer relationship today. Student-teacher relationships today as well. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 7. Slaves, obey your masters here on earth. Respect them and honor them with your heart. That is true. Don't obey them only to please them when they are watching. Do it because you are slaves of Christ. Serve your masters with all your heart. Work as serving the Lord and not as serving people. That's a hard thing to do sometimes. Work as serving the Lord, not as serving people. Now, it may not matter to the people working with you, or even to your customers, but if anyone cares about your work, your performance, he's your, your boss will care how your performance is. So, whether, whatever you do, manage an, an office program, computer, stock software, market software, construct homes, teach school, work in a doctor's office, or even a student in school, you must serve sincerely. And work with enthusiasm because in reality you're working for God. He's our ultimate boss. Now, I'm going to take you, we're going to switch again gears. I'm going to take you back to Daniel in the Old Testament. He's one of the best examples of this. It wasn't a job he wanted, any of them recorded in the Bible. The environment was difficult. The location was far away from home and from those he loved. The people he worked with were difficult. They didn't believe like he believed. You want to talk about a guy who lived our times? Daniel. They worshipped other gods. They lived different lives. They had different priorities. And you see, when Daniel was just a youth, he was taken captive to Babylon. But it was Babylonians came and captured him. And since he was one of the brightest, he was put into an intensive training program. And there Daniel determined to follow God's command no matter what. So Daniel excelled in the program and in everything else he did. With God's help, He interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dreams that no one else in Babylon could interpret. The king was so impressed with Daniel that he made him a ruler over a province of Babylon and placed him in charge of the wise men there. Key word there. He placed him in charge of the wise men there. I'll come back to that. Under King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, the capital city, was so great ancient writers waxed lyrics about its grandeur. A four-horse chariot could turn around on top of its hundred-gated walls. There was a hundred gates in the wall, and the four-horse chariot could make a circle on top of the walls. They were that thick. They were impenetrable. They had a temple mount, a temple tower that stood 295 feet tall back in those days. Babylon also boasted one of the world's seven wonders, the fame-hanging gardens of Babylon were there. And according, according to Herodias, the historian Herodias, a Greek historian, several colossal gold statues weighing many tons were there. But as a great warrior and ruler, he, as he was as great as he was, Nebuchadnezzar exhibited even greater pride. So God sent him another dream with images that terrified him. Daniel told him that his dream meant that because of his pride, God had decided to make him lose his sanity for seven years. And during those seven years, Daniel 4, chapter 4, verse 25, you will be driven away from the people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass as the ox does. And you'll become wet with the dew of heaven. Then you will recognize that the Most High God rules over all the kingdoms. And all this happens just as Daniel said it would. So when he was recovering... Nebuchadnezzar said, and it's recorded in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up towards heaven. My mind became clear again. I praised the Most High God. I gave honor and glory to God who lives forever and ever. Everything he does is right. All his ways are fair. He is able to bring down those who live proudly. Some years later, Daniel had to make another involuntary career change. Does that sound good for today's world? Right. The Persians Pe- and the Mer- Persians joined. Pardon me. The Medes and the Persians joined forces together, and they conquered Babylon. Trick. They tammed they up the Euphrates River and went underneath the wall. They couldn't break down the walls. They, they dammed up a river like Missouri, just so you know how they did it. And then they set up King Darius in his new kingdom. Daniel even got the job of one of the chief three administrators. And I'm going to take you to Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds to charge against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. Sidebar here, if we could find a politician... we could say that of today, I'd dance a jig in front of you. I better read that again. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. Because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis to charge this man unless... It is something to do with the law of his God. Well, most of you know the rest of the story. These men were jealous of Daniel, and they cooked up a plan and tricked King Darius of putting Daniel into the den of ferocious lions. That was the standard form of execution in Babylon at that time. They expected the lions to kill Daniel, but God protected them. Oh, I better read six, chapter 6, 19. Oh, I, I got to read it. I don't want to just do it off the top of my head, so bear with me. I'm going to go. Let me read this to you word for word. At the first dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came to the den, he called to Daniel with an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God... Has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, "May the king live forever! My God has sent His angel, and He shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in His sight. Nor have I done anything wrong before you, your Majesty." The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. Then Daniel was lifted out of the den. No wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Not only did Daniel impress King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians and King Darius of the Medes, who were conquered by the Medes and Persians, but we're told that as a very old man, old man, he also served the Persian king Cyrus who absorbed the Medes and the Persians in a battle. Verse 28 says, So Daniel had success while Darius was king, and things went well with Daniel and the rule of Cyrus in the Persians. Everything Daniel did, God blessed, because Daniel followed God. In this internet age, I believe we're part of the greatest chain reaction the world has ever known. One life touches another. Who touches another, who touches another. I got people on Facebook I never even met in my life, but they're on there. You can go hit up anything you want. Look at the kings whose day whose life Daniel directly touched. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Darius the mean and Persian uh, right, and Cyrus of Persia. Each one of these first saw Daniel as a slave or a former captive from a small small country that was inferior to their own. He didn't worship their gods. He didn't share their customs. At first glance, he would have been somebody you look down upon, somebody you just ignore. Can you picture this in your mind? But it wasn't long until nearly everyone around Daniel knew that he had higher standards and an absolute devotion and trust and dedication to his God. And that's what made him trustworthy, faithful, and hardworking subject of the king. As a result, each of these rulers and their subjects gained a whole new perspective for the God Daniel served. In fact, most of them came to acknowledge his God is a living and active God. All three of those kings acknowledged that. In contrast to their gods of stone and precious metals. And all this happened because one man, Daniel, was determined to live the kind of life that he knew God wanted. During Daniel's lifetime, some of the Jews were no longer looked at on as inferior. And they too began to hold important positions of government. You can check that through the archaeological proof. And it's not just recorded here, it's recorded in the archaeological records of Babylon. Jews held rank. And while King Sirius was alive, the Jews who wished to, they were allowed to return to their homeland. Then Queen Esther becomes queen of Persia, and her cousin and guardian Mordecai becomes prime minister of all of Persia. Now another generation passes away, and Nehemiah, the cupbearer and confidant of the king of Persia, was appointed governor of Judea, and had the authority and resources to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The foreign king paid for it. Now, nearly 400 years pass. We're coming 400 years later. And the wise men, from the very area that Daniel had been chief of the wise men, have you ever put that together? Daniel was chief of the wise men of Babylon. And the wise men evidently knew what Daniel had written about the promised Messiah and where he would be coming. So they came and worshipped the newborn king of the Jews sent by the Most High God whom Daniel served. Although long dead Daniel's witness for God had been living on. What will future generations say about you and me? Now, I'll tell you up front, I'm a workaholic. I make no bones about it. But I do put my feet up. Once in a blue moon, and I make boo-boos, and I don't know about you, but I'm aching and painting because I'm getting older. You know the, that I, I'll be honest with you, helping out with the yard sale, even though I wasn't supposed to do anything. I might have done things I shouldn't have done. They even threatened to tell my wife. She already knew I'd do it, but I didn't do much. I can do much because I'm getting old, not as old as some. But there's a few aches and pains going on right now. But some child will be changed from that yard sale. Some it's going to make an impact on the child. Something you donated raised money to help pay for some child to hear about God. Everything we do, whether it's an hourly paid job or a calling of God, we do it with our best. And if you don't like writing for the brand, right, you go to a different brand. But God's brand don't change, because his brand's inside us. Now, I will tell you that as you walk around and look at some of the people who work today, you wonder how they can keep their job. Uh, I've told you about being in the hospital, and they're all checking out their wedding things. And I was trying to get that it's a long story. I even got upset that day. Yeah. The world's changed on some of us, but it doesn't mean we aren't supposed to be who we have been called to be by God. We work better, we do better, we stand strong and true. The cowboy code of ethics still apply. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, right? It doesn't say you're going to have all the friends. It says you're going to be known. Daniel made a lifetime, generational time difference. Did you ever go back and read? He was in charge of the wise men in Babylon. Did you ever put those two together? Because one young boy would not bow a knee, the wise men may have showed up. Now, God could have brought him anyhow, but he actually, they, 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 it's quoted. Daniel, Matthew, wise men. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, he was still making an effect. Now, we're called to close in prayer. And some of you got lots of stuff to do this week. There's a powwow going on. Some of you are heading out there. Some of you are going to go garage sailing. Be nice to all the garage sailing people. They're wore out by today. Right? Uh, they're, on, they're on day three or four. Woof, duh. Any of you go garage sailing this? I, I even want to visit a couple. Be nice to them. Smile at them. Make them nervous. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, 400 times you told us about wars. 859 times you told us about work and labor. You called us to be laborers of the kingdom. Yes, we are at war. We know we're at war. But you called us to be laborers. You call us to live As you would have us live, not as the world would have us live. Help us to have wisdom in that. All God's people said, Amen.